relates to, to that assignment. All right, so having reminded you of the midterm exam and talked about other preliminary things, my hope is that we can perhaps finish up our discussion that we started last week on the fundamentals of business for a computing professional. And hopefully you recall that when we were together last time, we were talking about the various functional areas in the organization and some of the things that they did. And certainly we weren't trying to make this an exhaustive list, but we wanted to kind of capture the essence of what happens in different parts of our organization. And remember the premise of this. Specialization is the idea that in an organization, we employ people who are specialists in certain skills. We employ accountants who are good at accounting. We employ salespeople who are good at selling. We employ uh, technical people who are good at IT. And we put them into those roles within our organization to fill the various needs that we have. And so we don't need everyone to know how to do everything. A person who works in IT does not need to know how to drive a forklift. As fun as that sounds like it would be to me, um, I can't imagine wanting to drive a forklift all day, every day is my job. But probably some of the people that drive forklifts wouldn't want a job that involves sitting in front of a computer all day, every day. So we all have different interests. We all have different personalities. We all have different backgrounds. And one of the ways that manifests itself in an organization is people that work in these different functional areas. And so we talked about uh, what they do in the purchasing part of our organization. And we talk about, talked about what they do in the operations or logistics or production. We talked about what they do in the warehouse. And we'll talk about a few more of these today. Now, I'll go ahead and, and clue you into the fact that on your midterm exam, there will be a set of questions that will be posed to you where you will be told or be asked, um, in which functional area of the organization is blah done, where blah is something that's talked about in your book or something that we've talked about and there'll be a list of the different functional areas and you'll have to pick that out. Now some of them are pretty obvious but some of them could potentially be done in a couple of different places and so as you're going through this material make sure that you come up with a way to keep this straight and, and make sure you understand it. I don't think I mentioned this before, but this is a good place to, to interject. I really encourage you to think about getting together with another student or, or set of students and, and studying together for the exam. Um, almost inevitably, students that do that seem to do do better. Uh, you can kind of get together and quiz each other and go through the material together. You might want to, and, and this is just a suggestion that you can feel free to do or not do, but Wednesday of next week, this room will be empty during our class time. You know, if some of you want to have a little study group and get together and come, come in here and go through the material together and then maybe go over and take the test later in the day, think about something like that. One of the things I didn't mention before 
before, but I, I should mention now is uh, once you take the exam, and I'll put an announcement up to this effect, don't talk to other students about the exam because that's a violation of academic uh, integrity and uh, in the case of an exam results in rather significant penalties. So once you take the exam, don't go and study with another person. Uh, but if there are people that haven't yet taken the exam, getting together and going through the material can be something I think that you'll find beneficial. And so as you're quizzing each other, this would be a good thing to, to uh, put on the agenda here. So um, sales and marketing, another functional area that is of uh, real interest in our organization. And, and sales and marketing, first of all, in some organizations, that's one department. In some organizations, we have a sales department and we have a marketing department, and they're separate. But we'll talk about them together here. But the reason why I put a slash there is because sometimes they are, are separated out. Regardless of whether we're talking sales or marketing or both of them, really the big thing that is their task is order generation. Going out and in some way motivating people to buy from us. Now that could be done by a salesperson going out and making a presentation to a customer and walking out with an order in hand, or it could be a salesperson who calls people on the phones or even answers phones when customers call in to us. But it could also be things that we do to motivate people to order, such as advertising. Advertising would fall into the domain of marketing and would be something that we would use to motivate people to place an order from us. Now you might say, I would never want to be a salesperson. But in an organization, salespeople are really, really critical. Because if you don't sell anything, you don't have revenue. And if you don't have revenue, you don't have profit. And if you don't have revenue and profit, you don't have any money. And if you don't have any money, then it's going to be hard for people to get paid. And if you don't get paid, you're probably not going to want to work at that company anymore. So salespeople are very, very critical in an organization. And in fact, in a lot of organizations, when times get tough, they hire more salespeople instead of starting to lay people off because they know that one of the ways you can recover from a slump is by improving your selling. And so sales and marketing, they're responsible for order generation. But beyond that, they are our face to the customer. And so they provide the very important role of customer support. If you go to a car dealership and purchase a vehicle, you will undoubtedly deal with a salesperson. And if a couple of days after you buy that car, you discover that you have a question about it or there seems to be something wrong, you're very likely to go back and talk to that same salesperson about it because they were the face of the organization that, that you dealt with. And so sales and marketing plays a significant role in supporting our customers. A lot of times, sales and marketing is responsible for sales forecasting. Now you have at least seen in a small way at this point in the semester the challenge that goes along with this. 
One of the things that you face in ERP SIM that is a very real world challenge is you have six different products and you have a manufacturing facility and your goal is to never run out of those six products but your goal is also never to have an abundance of one or more of those six products. Easier said than done. And in your situation, you only have six products to keep up with. In a real-world organization, we might have hundreds, if not thousands, of products that we have to keep track of. And so sales plays a significant role in helping us understand what's going to happen in the future. Why? Because they know what customers like and they know what customers want because they talk to customers about orders and they talk to customers in general to support their needs as it relates to the things that we sell. Imagine if you will, if next week you got ready to play ERP SIM and someone walked in and said, hi, I'm Bob, I'm your salesperson. And Bob sat down and introduced himself. And when it came time to do a sales forecast, Bob was able to say, okay, here's what customers want. They don't want this flavor of muesli, and we can sell approximately this many boxes of this flavor of muesli. And Bob kind of laid it all out for you. Well, your job would be a lot easier than it is right now without Bob. And so salespeople play a very important role in an organization in helping us understand the market and helping us forecast sales in the future. Sales and marketing also play a significant role in, in corporate communication. So when you look at an organization in terms of their advertising, that would fall into this category, but in other domains as well, where companies have to come out and publicly make statements and talk about their products and maybe conduct different kinds of events or respond to current situations, sales and marketing often carry a significant role in that. Closely related to that, is the discipline of public relations. And public relations people really are responsible for managing the reputation and the impression of our organization in, in the public domain. And so that's very closely aligned to what we're seeing here with sales and marketing. A big role that sales and marketing takes on is promotion. And promotion could be everything from things like advertising to other things like distributing coupons or uh, sponsoring events. Basically anything that would get our name out there into the public domain and cause people to think about our product and, and what it is that we have to offer. Uh, maybe, for example, and I think I saw this where the ETSU football tickets, I don't know how many of you have seen any of those, but the ETSU football tickets on the back of them have uh, coupons for, I think, a local coffee company. And I saw a picture. It looks like one of them, the coupons are already expired before the day of the game. But uh, that, was kind of a, that was kind of an oops on the part of whoever managed that particular promotional campaign for, for that organization. But anything that we do to get our name out there uh, in front of our customers falls into this category of promotion. Uh, another very different kind of role that marketing fulfills for us is something called uh, market research. 
And the idea here behind market research is it goes along with this idea I expressed about about getting to know our customers. And so the idea here is we might conduct phone surveys. You know, everybody loves that to get a call and be asked about your preferences for things. But there are also other ways we could do this. We could, uh, just as we're talking with customers, we could ask them questions about the future. Um, we could commission a formal research study. But market research, basically research that we would do to try and understand our customers better. And it generates data for us to engage in analysis and then ultimately what we hope to have happen from this is, is a strategy. So going back to my ERP SIM scenario, maybe Bob sits down and you talk about the fact that people really, really like strawberry muesli, but they don't like blueberry muesli at all. So you put together strategy. Okay, here's how we're going to manage our production. And we have a lot of strawberry muesli right now, which people don't like. So we're going to lower the price of that so that we can sell it out, but we're not going to make any more of it. And you put together this plan for how you're going to attack the market that will hopefully lead to success. In our time of discussion, we've talked about the Walmart strategy and the Neiman Marcus strategy. And I think we saw last week in the results that some teams have had success with some strategies. Other teams have tried a similar strategy and not met with the same success. And so that's the real challenge here, figuring out what will work for our company and marketing research can be a real vehicle for helping us here. And so these are the kinds of things that the sales and marketing people in our organization take on, very, very critical to the success and, and proper functioning of our, of our organization. One of the things that you have not yet had the ability to do in the context of ERP SIM, and I mentioned this up here, but I'll go ahead and write it down again, is advertising. Advertising can be a tremendous motivator of people to purchase products, and just as a, a interjection about the future, you're going to get to experiment with that and use that in, in your efforts as well. Comments or questions about sales and marketing? I think pretty straightforward what they do for us in an organization. So uh, let's move ahead here. And we have uh, next up accounting and finance. And, and I probably drew this analogy um, when we were talking about accounting a couple of class periods ago and going through the various financial statements. But I always like to think of accounting as like the great scorekeepers. And they keep score in, in terms of money. And so they help us know how much money we have, where it came from, money we have coming in, money we have going out. Um, basically, one of the big things that they do for us is, kind of obvious here, they take care of our financial accounting. And so we probably have, depending upon the size of our organization, a whole team of accounting people 
that do nothing but monitor our financial statistics and prepare various reports and make sure things are, are functioning as they should in terms of our data collection. Now, if you think about it, financial accounting impacts everything we do in an organization. Every time a salesperson makes a sale, that shows up as revenue and financial accounting. Every time the warehouse ships out an order, that impacts the amount of assets that we own because something that we used to own was now just shipped to our customer, we no longer own it. So financial accounting touches every part of, of our organization, and so that makes it very critical to, to our success. Other things that accounting and finance will do for us are things like cash management. Let's talk about this in the context of ERP SIM. Right now, if you were to look, and I'm not saying right this second, but if you were to go in next time we had a lab and look at the transaction that shows you your cash position, some of your companies probably have a lot of money in the bank right now, and some of your companies may in fact be fairly cash poor. There's a real lack of understanding, I find, among students about this issue of cash management, and so this seems like a really good place for us to talk about it. All right, remember before when we were talking about the balance sheet, we said that an asset was anything that we owned that had value. Okay, so cash is an asset, but so too are blueberries and strawberries and boxes of finished cereal. Well, maybe as one company looks in their financial statement, they see that as far as cash goes, and I'll just make up numbers here, uh, they have $2 million in cash. And then when they look at their inventory, on a financial level, they only have $100,000 in inventory because they're just about out of everything else. So in this situation, they have a lot of cash, but they have very little inventory. Another team might look in their, in their records and they might discover they have almost no cash, but they have a lot of inventory. Now, hopefully you would find yourself in one of these two positions and not in a third position, which be, would be you have almost no cash and almost no inventory. That would be really bad. But among the teams out there now, based on the way we've played the simulation, we could find ourselves in either of these two positions. A lot of people mistakenly think that cash equals profit. And it does not. Cash does not equal profit because you could have profit and not have cash, which is what I'm illustrating potentially here on the right side. If you just went out and made a huge purchase and you bought a lot of blueberries and a lot of strawberries and so on, you have those things. Those are inventory, but you had to part with cash to get those, and so you don't have a lot of cash. Now, what you expect to do over time is you expect to sell this inventory, so you expect for this to go down and, and this to go up. So there's definitely a relationship here, but profit does not equal cash. And so one of the things that we have to do in our accounting and finance function is not only keep track of our profitability, but keep track of our cash. If we were in this scenario here on the left, 
we would perhaps recognize that there's no merit in having a lot of cash just sitting around. Can we take that cash and use it to make more money? Can we use cash to generate more cash in the future? That's a lot of what we try and do in business. We take what we start with and we try and make more of it progressively over time. So accounting and finance people kind of keep track of the financial impact of everything that we do, help us manage cash. Um, they also do things like what we call just capital management. And capital management partly includes helping us manage our cash, but it also includes things like keeping track of loans that we have issued or loans that we have to pay for, stock that we have issued, basically anything that relates to money and financial planning in our organization, the accounting and finance people work on this. And similarly to what we talked about in the last slide related to sales and marketing, accounting and finance could be one department in our organization depending upon how big we are or it could be two different parts we could have an accounting area and we could have a finance area and if we found that to be the case the accounting people would be the ones that do a lot of the financial accounting and the finance people would be the ones that would help us manage our cash and manage our capital to make sure that we're getting the most out of the resources that we have so that's accounting and finance Questions or comments about that before we forge ahead? All right, we've got just a couple more of these uh, functional areas and then we will be done. Human resources. Human resources is something that hopefully all of you will interact with in the near future because human resources, one of their major goals is recruitment going out and finding people to work in our organization. So it is very likely that if you apply for a job at a company, your application will first be seen by someone in human resources. And they will perhaps look at your resume and the other things that you have submitted, and they will say, this person looks like they would be a good employee. Let me forward this to so-and-so, and they can look at it and see what they think. Or they might look at this and say, this resume looks like it was done by someone who never finished second grade. And so uh, this is bound for the trash can, and they throw it away. Human resources plays a very important role as a gatekeeper in the recruitment process. So it's very likely, depending upon the organization that you work for, that or you're, you're talking to, that the very first person you would speak to would not be someone from a functional area, but would be someone from the HR area, making an initial assessment. Next week, and I put an announcement up about this in D2L, next week the college is holding a uh, job-related networking event that you might want to consider attending if you say to yourself, I would like a job sometime in maybe the next year or so. And it'll give you an opportunity to go and talk to people, find out about hiring that their company may be doing, hand out some resumes and other things of that sort. So look at that information if you're interested in participating in that. 
the other side of it is you're going as a potential job applicant the other people that will be there from the companies will in all likelihood be people from human resources because the big thing that they do is try to recruit talent the really interesting thing about recruitment is i've, I've read several books recently that talk about this particularly for organizations like apple and google and apple and google both spend a lot of money on recruitment because their philosophy is if we hire the right people we don't have to invest as much money in training and other things of that sort whereas a lot of companies will hire a lot of people and then train them and perhaps not keep some of them apple and google are very very selective about who they hire uh, there's a company in this region that hires graduates of our department they have a very interesting strategy. They will come in and in a given year, they might hire a dozen of our graduates with the intent of keeping five or six of them. And what they'll do is they'll hire 12 and they'll keep them for 90 days. And at the end of 90 days, they'll tell some of them, this isn't working out, thank you for trying. And bye-bye. Then at the end of a year, they'll do the same thing again and cut more of them loose. But if you make it to the end of that first year and they decide they want to keep you, they're going to increase your salary rather significantly. So that's part of their recruitment strategy. They basically cast a wide net, bring in a lot of fish, and then throw half of them away at the end of a year because they want to keep what they think are the best ones from the group that they've hired. Other companies will come in here and they'll talk to a dozen people and they'll hire one with the intent of investing in that person and keeping them and having them work for them long term. Companies have different recruitment strategies. Once we recruit people, then the focus turns to retention. And the idea here is that once we get people, if they are people that we want to keep, we may find ourselves having to work to do that. Because if you are someone that is skilled, there may be other companies out there that would like to have you come and work for them. So human resources is very much focused on retention. They know that a key element in retention might be things like the money that you're paid, the salary that's that's offered and then other things like benefits what kind of retirement program what kind of insurance programs are offered what other benefits can they offer you that would motivate you to stay employed with this organization all of those things fall into the domain of human resources human resources make sure that people get the appropriate training it's very interesting a lot of organizations these days have moved towards a self-service model of training and it might work something like this you go to work for an organization and the organization announces uh, in two weeks we're going to have a training course on six sigma and it'll meet uh, every afternoon for an hour for three weeks and if you would like to take this course uh, talk to your supervisor and get his or her approval and then we'd love to have you and you sign up for that course and you take that training course and they're always doing training of one sort or another and then when a new job opens in the organization they look across the organization and say okay we need someone who knows Six Sigma knows this and knows this 
and they pick from the people who have that experience now. And so it's kind of up to the employee to decide what training they want to do and what training they're not interested in doing. But when new opportunities open up in the organization, those that have done the training and development have a real advantage. And so a lot of companies are moving towards this, this self-service model of training, where it's kind of voluntary. And in some organizations, they'll even do things like let the people in the warehouse take a course in basic programming. And I don't mean basic as in the language basic, but maybe take a course in basic Java programming. And they'll offer different opportunities to see if maybe there's somebody working in one part of the organization that might have skills that could be used in another part of the organization. So training is something that companies put a lot of, a lot of effort into. I, I mentioned salary up here, but let's break this out as a separate item. Compensation. How does this work in our organization? And coming up with compensation plans that are reasonable and fair. Um, I mentioned before, um, the company, one of the companies that hires in our area, they will hire students in at X dollars a year. And then if you make it to the end of the first year, your salary basically goes up to two times X. The first year, you're not making much because you're kind of on probation, if you will, but if they see that you're really valuable, that number goes up significantly if they decide to keep you. Other companies will bring you in day one at a much higher salary, but you won't advance as frequently. Some companies, every six months you have a review, and if your review goes well, you get a raise. It might be a small raise, but you're getting raises every six months. So companies have to come up with a compensation plan that this ties into making workers want to stay and work at the organization, and maybe even doing things like motivating them to engage in training and other things to improve their skill. And so compensation can be a good way for us to, to manage that. Human resources also plays a significant role in worker health and safety. There are various government agencies out there that are concerned about this, such as OSHA, that want to make sure that workplaces are safe places for people to go. They don't want to find out that every other week somebody in our warehouse gets their hands crushed. That's not good. That's not good for workers. We have an unsafe workplace. We have to solve that. Believe it or not, an organization that I was working with in the last year, they had a significant safety issue that was a concern of OSHA's, and I guarantee you it's not something that any of you would ever thought of. Um, their problem was people falling down the stairs. And it wasn't people in the warehouse that were being unsafe. It was the executives and the secretaries and people like that, that as they walked throughout the corporate headquarters building, weren't focused on what they do, were doing, and they fell downstairs. And so they had this huge, huge campaign to encourage people to use the handrails on the stairs because they showed that if you use the handrail, you are much less likely to fall down the stairs. And if they went like a month where no one fell down the stairs, they would have like a little party. You know, yay, no one fell down the stairs and broke their arm. But 
it was happening a lot and so they had to raise people's awareness and and you were supposed to, like if you were walking down the stairs or walking up the stairs and you saw someone walking down the stairs and they weren't using the handrails you were supposed to you know really nicely say hey don't forget to use that handrail because they wanted to make sure that people were being safe and so human resources concerns itself with things like that because if every other week an accountant falls down the stairs um, it's going to be hard for them to do their accounting work if all of them are like in body casts or something like that. So looking out for the health and safety of our workers falls into this category of, of human resources as well. Many organizations, depending upon what it is that they do, will have a research and development functional area. We often will see this just abbreviated as R&D. And research and development is primarily focused on new product creation. So you don't have the ability to do this in ERP SIM, but the idea might be that someone say, hey, I have an idea for a great new flavor of muesli, um, avocado muesli. And so they start experimenting with ways to dry avocados and put them in muesli. Now, personally, that sounds gross to me, but maybe some of you think that sounds good. But the idea is we try and come up with new ideas and new flavors, because if we can bring that to market and nobody else has it, then that might be a real key to success. Not only do we look at new product creation, but we look at existing product enhancement. Now, this could be anything from putting more blueberries into a box of blueberry muesli to things like a toothpaste saying, you know, now with extra fluoride to protect your teeth or anything that we might do to enhance a product. Oreos has really taken to doing this. They had Oreos, and then they came up with double stuff Oreos. And now, as Thanksgiving approaches, my wife the other day was in the store, and she bought pumpkin spice Oreos. And they're coming out with all these different flavors. They're taking an existing product and just kind of twisting it up a little bit and trying to enhance the existing product. A lot of what happens in research and development is reverse engineering. And we have to be careful with this because there are things that might happen in this domain which would be frowned upon by the legal authorities. But reverse engineering is basically the idea of looking at your competitor's products and taking it apart and, and figuring out what's in it so that you can perhaps come up with your own version to compete with it. So hypothetically, in ERP SIM, you might buy a competitor's box of muesli and separate out all the ingredients and say, hmm, they have a little bit more blueberries in theirs and they have less strawberries in their mix. And uh, so we should think about coming up with a flavor like that. Um, I read an article one time that talked about candy bar companies. When a new flavor of candy bar would come out, they would buy a whole bunch of them and like melt them down and figure out the different ingredients that were in them. Car companies do that. They buy competitors' cars and take them apart and see what technology they're using and what parts they're using and what ideas they have in their car that they could possibly use in the manufacture of the vehicles for our organization. And so reverse engineering is this idea of just finding something of a competitor's that you think is good and taking it apart and, and learning from it. So a lot of what we are doing here falls into this domain of strategic development. 
you know, we're trying to come up with new products that we can bring to market that will capture consumers' attention. Apple does a lot of this as they come up with their new versions of their iOS operating system, as they come up with new versions of the iPhone and so on. And so a lot of this is trying to invent new stuff that we can put in products that customers will find very interesting. It's no surprise that once Apple comes out with a product that features some technology, other companies copy that. And the same thing happens in inverse. When other companies come out with things that are cool, Apple sees what they're doing and Apple copies them. That just doesn't happen accidentally. That's part of this whole research and development process that we employ in our organization. And like we talked about before, we have to do this because customers are continuously changing and so we've got to adapt to meet their needs and their demands. The last functional area we'll talk about really is a whole cluster of functional areas that fall under the umbrella of, of administration. And administration would include things like, we'll put top management on this list, and we'll talk about them in a moment, and we'll put clerical support would fall under administration, and then we have things like information technology that falls into the domain of administration, and then we have security that would fall into the domain of administration, and then we have things, and I'll just kind of running out of space, so I'll put this off to the side. We have things like cleaning and, and building maintenance. These are all things that we have to do in our organization in order for things to continue to run. Uh, let's kind of talk about each of these um, in turn. Top management, this is your president, your chief executive officer, your top leaders in the organization. The primary thing that they focus on is long-range planning. The people in the marketing department, they come up with strategies, but their strategies are largely, how can we sell more muesli over the next six months? The top management is thinking about, you know, two or three years from now, should we, should we start selling, I don't know, what would be a, a product that would be similar? Should we start selling breakfast bars? You know, it's kind of related to muesli, uses some of the same ingredients. And so they're thinking more long range about things that we might do in our organization. They're not focused on the day-to-day -day stuff. They're focused on stuff six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. They're kind of like the ship captain who doesn't concern himself with what they're serving in the cafeteria, but more with, okay, I got to make sure that the ship gets to the ultimate destination where we're headed. Clerical support is, is pretty straightforward. These are the kind of day-to-day -day demands uh, related to information handling. We're thinking about things like uh, preparing reports and, and uh, filing reports and handling the mail and answering the telephone and manning the reception desk and clerical support, very, very critical in our organization, but just kind of handles the routine day-to-day -day tasks that needs to happen for our organization to function. IT. We kind of know what that is from our personal experience here. This relates to uh, computer hardware, uh, computer software, um, networking, 
computer security, um, all of the things that go into making sure our computing infrastructure is, is working properly. And I think this is a good place for us to realize that and interject the idea that IT is there to support what happens in all the other functional areas. You know, every one of these other functional areas we've talked about, they use computers. And so one of the reasons why IT is considered an administrative role is because we're involved in all of that. Every one of those areas has automation, has computers, has networking, has software demands. And so our role spans across the entire organization, which is what's happening here at administration. The top level management, they're responsible for the whole organization. Clerical support, every part of our organization is likely going to have secretaries and receptionists and clerks and other people like that. IT, all throughout the organization. Now security, what I'm talking about here, is not computer security, but it's security in terms of security guards wearing uniforms and maybe carrying some kind of uh, protection device, whether we're talking full-fledged police officers that are carrying handguns or things of that sort, or just people that are carrying walkie-talkies and other things, monitoring security cameras, making sure that our workplace is, is kept safe. Depending upon our industry, security could be a very significant element. If we make products that are somewhat sensitive, and people therefore might want to steal them, then security is going to be a, a prime concern for us. And so we have a lot of people potentially that work in security. I don't know how many of you know this, but um, as an example of this, when you go to the Disney theme parks in Florida, uh, Disney World and uh, Disneyland in California, they employ a lot of security officers. But chances are pretty good if you've ever visited those parks, you probably have never seen anyone walking around dressed like a security guard unless they were like playing the role of a security guard in like a play or something um, because Disney uses plain clothes security guards and they police the parks dressed just like tourists and they may even ride rides and they may walk around like looking like it's a husband and wife team but they're there playing the role of security and it's been a few years ago when my wife and I were in the park and there was some kind of accident on a ride where someone got injured and we were just amazed at in a matter of we heard like a uh, a uh, walkie-talkie where someone issued an alert that sounded very urgent. We overheard that and next thing we know there were like 12 people all running to this one location and opening up this secret gate and running through it and none of the people were dressed like Disney people. They were all dressed like like people that were there just to enjoy the parks but it was the security team that was there to investigate and to you know, keep an eye on shoplifting and make sure that people are safe and so on. Um, after 9-11, this became an, a very important role in the Disney parks, to continue that example, because they thought, 
and I suppose to a certain extent they still do think that they could be a target for terrorists. So they take this very seriously. As you walk into the Disney parks, if you've been there, the way they funnel crowds through different turnstiles and through different choke points is because they're using facial recognition cameras and software to get a look at every person that walks into their park's face. And they check it against various uh, photographic databases that come to them from other entities to let them know if someone dangerous is, is in the park. And if you do something in one of their parks that they don't like, they can. It's rather extreme, but it happens. They can ban you for life. And when they do that, they take your photo and feed it into their computer, and good luck getting into one of their parks again because they have really good photo recognition software. All of that's part of their security process. Cleaning building maintenance, I don't know that there's much for us to talk about there, but it's a pretty important thing. Um, if nobody's making sure the floors are swept and things are kept clean and facilities are properly maintained and equipment is properly maintained, things go downhill really, really quickly. And so that's another administrative function. Once again, the idea here is these are things that span across the entire organization and provide levels of service throughout the company. Well, what we have just done is go on, went on a fairly quick tour of some of the most common functional areas that we see in organizations. Now, I want to bring it back, though, to our theme here. What has unfortunately happened over time is these different functional areas have developed the mindset that they are most important and they are the focus of the organization or just that only they really understand their value and no one else does and so like illustrated in this picture these little castles are built up and we become to think of ourselves in terms of us versus them and no longer do we see ourselves as all people that are working together inside of an organization. We see ourselves as we've got to look out for ourselves because no one else will look out for us. Well, that becomes very, very, very dysfunctional. And unfortunately, in a lot of organizations, that's the way things play out. I have talked to some of our graduates in recent years that have gone to work at some of the companies in this region and they have come back and told me the employees in IT are treated like trash and they're talked down to and they're not respected and it goes back to this idea where a lot of people look at what happens in sales or look at what happened in planning or look at what happens in buying and we could put another castle here and fly an IT flag off of it if you're not one of us then then you're not important well that's not the way things should work in a productive organization. We have to realize that all of these functional areas are interdependent. If I am a salesperson and I say only salespeople are important, well I go out and make a sale and if the person in the warehouse doesn't gather up the items that I have sold and ship them to the customer, I'm probably going to have a hard time continuing to sell products. If I work in the warehouse and I say the warehouse is the most important, salespeople are morons, we don't need salespeople, well, no one's going to buy our stuff. 
which means that there's not going to be a not a lot of need for people working in the warehouse if nothing ever comes into or leaves the warehouse it all just sits there so if we really just think about this logically every part of the organization is important and we're all interdependent upon one another for success so what that means is we have to figure out a way that we can all work together with maximum efficiency and effectiveness. And that gets right to the heart of what this class is all about. That gets right to the heart of what you are seeing in ERP SIM. Some of what you are doing in ERP SIM are things that would be done by a salesperson. And some of what you're doing are things that would be done by a warehouse person. And some of it would be things that would be done by people working in marketing. And you begin to very realize, very quickly realize that what happens in one area has a significant impact on things that happen in other areas. I, I talked to a, a professor one time who did this as an experiment just to see what would happen. And he had a lot of different rooms available and, um, that had computers in them. And that made it even more interesting is they were all in different floors in a building. And so when he had his team start playing ERP SIM, after a few weeks, he said, okay, we're going to change things up. And Bob, you're in charge of setting prices. So you're going to play the role of marketing person, and you go to room 110. And Sue, you're in charge of managing the inventory and production, and you go to room 417. And they were each made to go to a different room, and were told, oh, and you're not allowed to communicate with one another. And it became very, very apparent very, very quickly how hard it was to try and do anything. When you couldn't see information that you needed to, you couldn't communicate with people in fulfilling other roles in the organization, things break down very, very quickly. Well, that's a metaphor for what happens in a lot of organizations. And so what we want to try and do is figure out a way that we can use technology to improve communication, to improve workflow. And so that is the role of what information systems are. Information systems are those computers and those people and those procedures that we put in place and the software that we use that is focused on storing and organizing and delivering information throughout our entire organization. So for those of you that might be wondering, I wonder what the focus of the information systems concentration is here at ETSU and how it's different than the IT or CS. Well, this statement right here gets right to the heart of it. What we are focused on when we talk about information systems is the way we use technology, but more than just technology, the way we use technology and people and procedures that we put in place to help an organization effectively manage the information that flows all throughout that company in order for them to do what it is that they need to do. And it's very, very easy to think of this in theory but in a real-world organization of any size, it's very, very challenging for us to actually do this. 
a few months ago, President Nolan, I guess it was probably about a year ago at this point, delivered his State of the University Address. He does this every year. And as a matter of fact, this year's State of the University Address is scheduled for this Friday. And he usually talks a lot about the strategy of what the university is going to be doing moving forward and how things are working and so on and so forth. In his last State of the University Address, he talked about how the university was really trying to figure out ways to get more students to come to ETSU. It's no big secret that recruiting and retention are a big focus in higher education in general. And he made the statement, we're trying to understand better who it is that comes to ETSU and what might motivate them. And we have a lot of information in our computer systems, but we don't know how to unbundle and understand the information. And basically he was saying, we have a lot of information that is essentially stored in our computers and, and we can't figure out what we can do with it that would be useful. We recognize that there's probably a lot of value there, but we don't have any way of getting at that value. Well, that's exactly what information systems is about in an organization. Helping us figure out ways that we can collect information and store that information and organize it, but with the primary focus of delivering information throughout the organization to the people that need it so that they can make the best possible and best informed decisions. And so as you are starting now to really develop skill in your reporting and your data modeling, and we'll continue to build on that this semester, that's a perfect example of the value of information systems. If we can take raw data and turn it into a graph that someone could look at and gain insight about whether a certain product is doing well or whether a particular price point is a good one and make changes that will improve the function of our organization, then we've done what it is that, that we are tasked to do. Another way in which all of the different functional areas of an organization come together is in the execution of business processes. And after midterms, we will kind of change the focus of our class discussions to talking about key and fundamental business processes in an organization. But let's start off, let me give you a definition of, of what a business process is. A business process, first of all, is, is a collection of activities. So, we are trying to do something in our organization and it's actually a multi-step process. A collection of activities, each taking in input and creating output. So we have a sequence of steps that we do and what happens in step one, some of that gets passed to step two. And step two does some things where they take some of the stuff from step one and they do something with it and then that gets passed on to step three. So it's a collection of activities, each taking an input and creating output, performed by one or more functional areas. And then the last part here, that creates 
value within an organization. So, if we were to think of in terms of ETSU, ETSU has a process by which new students are admitted. And so perhaps uh, a potential new student goes to the ETSU website and fills out an application. And they click the button, and that application gets sent to someone in an office somewhere, and they look over the application, and maybe they check certain things like, has the person filled out all of the information? Have they told us all the basic facts about things that we need to know about them? And if so, okay, they approve that, and it goes on to the next person. And maybe the next person looks at it and says, okay, what did they say they wanted to, to major in? And so, okay, they want to be a nursing student. So to be a nursing student, this is the background they need to have. Do they have that background? Yes, they do. Okay, great. And then it gets passed on to the next person that looks at it. And the admissions process actually has a number of different steps to it. And what we hope is at the end of that process, what we will have is a new student that's been admitted to ETSU. Now, sometimes the end result of that process is someone being told, thanks for your application, but sorry, you can't be admitted. You, you don't fulfill the criteria. But in our business, we have a, a defined way in which we go about admitting students. That is a business process. Now, if we think about this in terms that we would be comfortable with in the context of computing, what does this kind of look like? Collection of activities, each taking in an input, creating output uh, that creates something of value. Does that sound like anything that you've talked about maybe in other classes that relates to, to computing in any way? Program, maybe, but there's something um, I think that might be another descriptive term here. Yes, sir? Okay, I, 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 very much, especially the idea of passing something forward. And I think Linux piping would be a good example of the term that I'm hunting for here. Let's see if anybody else has one. Yes, ma'am. Um, I could see where you'd say that if we're talking object-oriented programming. The word I'm looking for is, is an algorithm. Now, if you think about an algorithm, we have algorithms for doing a lot of different things. In a programming class, you might talk about a sorting algorithm. Well, what is that? A sorting algorithm is a sequence of steps that we do, and we know that if we've done each of those steps properly, when we get to the end, we will have a sorted result. And the value of an algorithm is we don't have to say, oh, no, I have a list that I need to sort. How do I sort it? Whatever do I do? Let me sit for 20 minutes and try and brainstorm a solution, and we try and come up with something brand new. We don't have to do that. The idea behind an algorithm is somebody's already figured out a way we can sort things. There's the bubble sort. There's the selection sort. There's the insertion sort. There's the quick sort. There's all kinds of different sorts. But once I pick one, at that point, I really don't have to think much about it. I just have to write the code that goes with that particular algorithm that I've chosen. An algorithm is, if you will, a known good solution. 
Well, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about a business process. We have decided in our organization, and I'll stick with the same example I just gave, that as a part of onboarding new students, there's a sequence of things we have to do. And we can't forget any of those things. For example, we are required under law to check to make sure that students have certain immunizations. Some of them are optional, some of them are required, but, and I'm not up on all of the finer points of this, but the basic idea is if someone applies here and they don't have certain immunizations, then they have to go and get them, and if they don't, they can't be admitted. And so one of the steps in our admissions process is for the health center, which is down on the first floor of this building, to look at the student's health record and make sure that everything's there that needs to be. And then they put their stamp of approval on it and it goes to the next step of the process. What we don't want to have happen is we don't want to say, oh no, somebody applied to be a student here at ETSU, whatever do we do? Okay, I guess this needs to happen and then I guess this needs to happen. No, we sit down and we say, all right, here's the steps that need to happen and this idea of different functional areas the health center looks at the student's medical records. The bursar's office looks at things like, is this someone who already has been a student here and owes us a ton of money, and therefore we can't admit them for that reason. Other parts of the organization look at, okay, do we have a transcript from their high school? Are their grades good enough? So different parts of the university each play a different role here. So we have a sequence of steps that are performed by different functional areas, and when we're all done, we have something of value to our organization. We have an admitted student. So a business process is like an algorithm, which means that in a contemporary organization, there are likely hundreds of business processes at play. Maybe you've gone to work in a business before, and I don't know, I'll pick an example. Maybe you were going to be a waitress or a waiter and maybe one of your tasks was every day you had to make the sweet tea. And they probably would have told you, okay, this is the machine we use, and here's how we make the tea. You know, you put this in here, you measure out this much sugar, you dump it in here, you do this. And the idea is every day different people might make the sweet tea, but we always want it to taste the same which means that one person can't come in and put like one pound of sugar in and the next day someone comes in and puts five pounds of sugar in and it's different levels of sweetness every day. No, we want it always to be the same. So we have a defined way of how this is done so we always get the same result. That's a business process. Now, closely aligned to the concept of a business process but a very distinct term is this term of a business model. And so let me give you a definition of a business model. A business model is a description of methods and resources employed by a company and its partners leading to the creation of value 
for a customer and sustaining ongoing operations. A description of the methods and resources employed by a company and its partners leading to the creation of value for a customer and sustaining ongoing operation. Well, for business process, I describe that as being like an algorithm. If we stick with that same basic idea, a business model would be more like a computer program. Now, if you think about what a computer program is, a given computer program might employ two, three, four, a hundred, more than a hundred different algorithms. An algorithm just does one thing in one part of our program. It sorts a list of numbers. It displays a chart on the screen. It gets input from the user. It's one discrete thing that we do that might represent 5, 10, 50 lines of code. The program is what I get when I put all the different algorithms together. And that's the same thing that we see with the business model. Kmart and Walmart have a lot of things in common, but yet it's pretty clear there are some very big and important differences. Largely, we can observe that Kmart is teetering on the edge perpetually of going out of business, where Walmart is doing quite well financially. Well, if you think about it, they both have stores, they both sell products, they both have cashiers, they both have lights, they all have restrooms. There's a lot of things that they do similarly. There's a lot of algorithms that might be exactly the same or very, very similar. But yet when you put it all together, they get very, very different results. The program for Kmart seems to be buggy or broken whereas the program for Walmart seems to be pretty well honed towards making money. So the idea here is a company has a variety of business processes, and the process might be different. The way students are admitted at ETSU might be subtly different than the way students are admitted at Northeast State and might be subtly different from the way students are admitted at Appalachian State. There'd be a lot of things that would be similar, but there would also be some differences in those processes. But when we put all of the processes together, that encompasses who we are as a company and, and how we do things. So you could imagine, if we could go to any company in this town that's well established, we might ask them, okay, how do you do this thing? And we could draw on the whiteboard like a little flowchart diagram and say, okay, that's your business process for doing this. And if we then were to continue asking them, okay, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? And we were to over time step them through everything they did in their organization. And we filled the whiteboard. We'd probably have to fill every wall in this room with all the different charts that represented it. When we had that done, that would be essentially their business model because that's the way that they do everything that they do as an organization. And every company is going to be, at minimum, subtly different from other companies that are out there, and in fact, might be radically different. And those differences are because 
they have slight or major differences in their business processes. And then when they put all of them together into their business model, they get a very, very different kind of organization. Now, business models are very, very useful for us because they help us understand what it is that our company does. So it helps us understand what we do, how we do it, and then most importantly, why? If you go to Pals for lunch today, and you drive through Pals, and you, you pull up to the little window, and you give your order, and then you drive around, and you go to the other side, and you hand the person your money, and they hand you their food. That is a very different transaction than if you were to go to Burger King or McDonald's. There'd be some similarities. You stayed in the car the whole time if you went through the drive-through and you gave someone your order but at mcdonald's or burger king it's very likely that you gave your order over a microphone or some kind of speaker microphone system to some distant voice and then you pulled around and and the whole mechanics of how you pay might be very very different you get similar results but clearly the process itself is very very different pals is very proud of the fact and i've actually seen this written up in a variety of industry trade journals that i believe the number anybody here work for pals what's the what's what's your order fulfillment time that's what I thought. 18 seconds is the average order fulfillment time for PALS. And they keep track of that. Let me, let me, you know, you better believe it. You go to Burger King or you go to Arby's or you go to another place, chances are pretty good their average order fulfillment time is going to be much higher than that. In addition to that, do you know, what's your stats on how many orders you get wrong? Okay, it's really low though. It's like one out of a few, I think out of a few hundred. 98% accuracy. So that would mean two out of a hundred are wrong. Um, I'm gonna guess that, well, every time I go to Taco Bell, they get my order wrong. So I think that theirs is probably like 98 out of a hundred that they get wrong. Pals really focuses in on this is the way we do this. This is the way we do this. This is the way we do this. Everything is defined because that's the only way you get orders out the door in 18 seconds. And they have certain processes they follow to make sure that things are very, very accurate. For, for a, this is a, going back a couple years ago, McDonald's used to put these stickers on their bags at the drive-thru that was like this order was checked, double-checked for accuracy. It was like their way of telling you, we know we've got this right. And still I would get orders with the wrong stuff in it with the stamp, with the you know, sticker on it saying double checked. I'm like, great. Not only did one person make a mistake, but someone else looked at it and made a mistake too. So thumbs up. Good job there. Um, the only way that PALS delivers this kind of performance is because they have defined business processes. And if we look at PALS and then we look at McDonald's, well, both of them sell hamburgers, both of them sell soft drinks, but they do it in very, very different ways. That difference manifests itself in their business models. Yes, sir.
so you know there's no communication. It prints out, it comes up on a big screen, you get a big sticker that says McDouble, no pickle. You take the sticker off, you put it on the wrapper, and then you make it. And then you wrap it up and you put pickles on it. Like, I don't know how they do that. I've seen, you know, go online, you can find all kinds of pictures of like somebody who opens their hamburger and there's no top bun on it. Or, you know, there's no beef patty in the cheeseburger. It's just cheese in the bun. Um, you know, I don't know how, there's all kinds of creative ways that you can mess something up. And I'm not meaning to insult McDonald's. Clearly, they're making a lot of money too. But different business models. Uh, Walmart versus Kmart, Pals versus whatever, you know, Pizza Hut versus Pizza Inn. You know, even companies that are very, very similar, they have subtly different ways of doing things in their business processes that manifests itself in our business model. And so this is very important because it helps us as a company understand why are we doing the things that we're doing. And it also gives us great diversity. You know, some people like one business. They find that the products that they sell and the way they do business matches up with their needs and their interests. Other people have different interests. And so business processes and business models drive all of this. So the idea here is if we think about a company's business process, and let's, for, let, let's take a couple of examples here real quick. The procurement process, which is the process of buying things. Well, the people that work in the purchasing department, they're going to be very involved in the procurement process. But if you think about ERP SIM, in order for you to make blueberry muesli and strawberry muesli and all kinds of things like that, you have to have raw ingredients. So the production people and the purchasing people have to communicate with one another for the sake of that information. Inventory management in the warehouse becomes important because the warehouse lets us know what items we have in stock, what items we have an abundance of. We need more strawberries. No, you can't make that because we don't have blueberries. So the warehouse is involved in this. So we have all of these different functional areas that come together for us to be able to effectively execute the procurement process. The fulfillment process, which is selling things to customers. Well, we have salespeople that work on that. We have marketing people that work on that. We have inventory management that takes care of shipping out the orders. We have production that perhaps makes the items that go out to customers. And so all of the different functional areas have to work together for the sake of effectively employing these, these business processes. Now, going back to our, our theme here and kind of the big point that I want you to get here is historically, when companies went out and bought computers, they bought computers for an individual functional area. And so we have these, what are often called information silos. And I put a picture here on the side of the slide of silos. And certainly in this part of the country, as you drive around town, you see a wide variety of silos. Some are still in use and some that have been abandoned and aren't in use anymore. But we know silos are used to accumulate things, maybe grain, maybe a wide variety of different products. But we put them in silos for the sake of storing them. Well, that's what these companies would do. The, the salespeople would go out and buy a system, and so they had their silo. And the production people would go out and buy a computer, and, and they would have their silo. And so scattered throughout our organization, we had all of these different silos. And the problem, or one of the problems is, these systems were not 
designed to interface with one another. So the sales computer doesn't talk to the production computer. And the production computer doesn't talk to the warehouse computer. And none of their computers talk to the accounting computers. We all have our own computer systems, but they're all distinct. Now, why do you think that was the case? There's more than one reason. But who can give me one reason why you think that was the case? Why didn't these systems talk to each other? Okay, the people were the ones talking to each other. I, I, I buy that. That kind of relates to uh, another idea that I won't say and see if somebody else comes up with. But okay. All right, what else? Cost. Why do you say cost? Okay, and that gets, and realize that's funny you mentioned, you said the word internet. The internet didn't come to us until the early 90s. Computers came to business long before that. The earliest computers couldn't talk to each other. That technology didn't exist. So when sales went out and bought a computer, there was no way for it to talk to another computer because networking hadn't been invented yet. So in the early days, when companies went out and bought computers, one reason why they didn't talk to each other was because there was no mechanism to talk to each other. Now, over time, that changed, but in the earliest days, technology was what impeded that. Um, there were some other things mentioned there that I, I'll talk about in a second, but somebody else had their hand up, I think. Why, yes, sir? Okay, what else? People were mentioned. Um, you know, goes back to this idea of the systems, we didn't want the systems to talk to each other. If we worked in sales and we went out and bought a computer, that was our computer to help us do our thing. And it's very likely that that was a very expensive investment for us and we wanted to stay focused on doing our stuff. And so we're not interested in opening up our information to other people in our organization. And so the silos here were a way for us to hoard information. And in fact, and this was mentioned uh, or at least alluded to a moment ago, information exchange was often paper-based. Now, I've talked to, over the years, several students that um, have shared with me that they went and worked for a company and a couple of them said, I'm working in a company right now and this is what we do. The salespeople take in all their orders, they put it into the computer and then it gets printed out and a stack of printouts gets taken to another part of the organization. And what do they do? They type the information into their computer. And the information exchange that happens doesn't happen because the computers talk to each other. It happens because things are printed out on paper and they're taken out of one system and put into another system based on people typing on the keyboard. What is one, well there's a lot of problems with that. 
But what are some of the problems that come with that kind of paper-based information exchange? Anytime you have another person work with that information, you're adding an opportunity to an error. Absolutely. Uh, the paper says 10,000. They mistype it as 1,000 or 100,000. And now we have bad information because, you know, maybe there was like somebody spilled coffee on the paper and there was a dot of coffee over that and so they misread the numbers. And so information exchange that's paper-based is very, very prone to error because we're retyping information. What's the other thing that's problematic about this? Delayed. If I have information in computer A and I want to get it into computer B and the way I do it is by having computer A print it out on paper and then I carry it over and have somebody type it in so that it goes into computer B, these two systems have different information in them based on the passage of time. And it might be that on Monday something gets printed out on Tuesday, it gets carried over to the other area. On Wednesday, somebody picks up that stack of papers, starts typing the information in, and they don't finish till sometime on Thursday. So information that was true on Monday over here is now not in this system until Thursday, which means that inherently it's not accurate anymore. So this system is totally based on inaccurate information because we're exchanging information by way of paper. I worked for a company in the past that had a website that customers could use for order ordering and this was in the late 90s so this was like very very at that time new and what would happen is every day when they came in they would print out the customer orders because the website system couldn't talk to the order processing system. And so they'd come in and they'd print out yesterday's orders and then pick up the stack of papers and bring them over to the clerks for them to type them into the order processing system just because those two systems were not set up to talk to each other. Now you might look at that and say, man, that is so the way things were back in the 90s or so the way things were as of 10 years ago. There are companies out there now that are considered successful in the domain of IT that have computer systems that still they don't talk to each other. Sometimes it's because the design of the system makes it complicated. Sometimes the process of hooking those two systems up would be too time consuming, too expensive. But one of the big challenges a lot of companies face in the domain of IT is they have, oops, try and get back here. They have all these different systems in their company landscape and they're not all talking to each other in an effective fashion. And so oftentimes, even in contemporary organizations, we have to resort to this paper-based information exchange. Coordinating information exchange and cross-functional handoffs are problematic. Let's go back to our ETSU has a process to admit students. Well, the way that this could work is we have a series of 20 steps that we do, and I'm just making that up. And those 20 steps are done by people that work in six different departments around campus. 
Well, there's no reason why we couldn't go through all 20 of those steps in one day. And in fact, we might be able to go through all 20 of those steps in a couple of hours. But yet, what often happens is to go through all 20 of those steps takes two and a half weeks. Why? Well, that's because before step three can be done, step two has to be finished by one department. And the people in the department that do step three don't know that they can start work because no one told them that step two had been finished. And all throughout the process, if it's not well honed, is when it's time for one area to pass the ball, if you will, to another area, the ball gets dropped or the ball just never gets handed off to begin with. I was talking with a, a professional who came in and, and was a guest speaker in one of my classes a couple years ago. And there's a poster out in our hallway that, that talks about this issue. And he came in and he was talking to the students about, that sounds so simple, but in his organization, which had over a thousand IT people working in it, he said, that is our number one problem making sure that all of the information we have gets to the appropriate people when they need it and that all of our information handoffs happen very, very effectively and very, very efficiently. That's the problem with these silos. We're not all on the same page. We don't all have the same information. And so when it's time to exchange information, this becomes challenging. So the bottom line here is if we have a unified system for data handling. If we had one system that we all worked in, and the salespeople worked in this system, and the production people worked in this system, and the marketing people, and the accountants, and the people that worked in manufacturing, and everybody in our organization, if we all worked in this one system, if we had a unified system for data handling, then that should, and I emphasize should because there's no guarantees here, but that should provide efficiencies. And it should permit more effective management. So the idea here is if we have one system that we're going to agree that we're all going to use for the execution of these business processes, and we make sure that the marketing people can get all the information they need, and the salespeople can get all the information they need, and everybody is satisfied that what they need out of the system is present there, and we're all going to use this same system, then we pick up a lot of benefits. Because we don't have to worry about interfacing systems together because we're all using the same system. And we don't have to worry about paper-based information exchange because we're all in the same system. And we don't have to worry as much about these information handoffs because what we've done is we've gone out there and essentially knocked down all of these small silos and we've built one really big silo. And we're all agreed now they were all going to use that one silo. Back in the day, or what you still see in a lot of organizations, is we've got all of these different silos, and every one of them contains slightly different information. 
And so if we can have a unified system here, then now we have something that is very valuable to us, which we have one source of truth. And the people that work in the warehouse can make sure that all the inventory information is totally accurate. And the salespeople can make sure that all the sales information is totally accurate. And the production people can make sure that all of the production information is totally accurate. But we're all working in the same system, so we all make sure that what we do with the system is 100% accurate, and we now have this one place that we can all come together for the sake of information exchange. What we are talking about here is enterprise resource planning. Because as we observed before that business processes cut across functional departments and require coordination, enterprise resource planning is an effort to establish a highly integrated cross-functional business structure based on information sharing among these business process participants. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to get everybody to agree, no, you don't need a separate computer system. We're all going to share in this one computer system that we agree we're going to use to manage our business. And we're going to set up that system so that our business processes gets executed the way we want them to be executed. And we're going to set up our system, not so that everyone can see everything, because we don't want everybody in the company snooping in payroll information, and somebody who works in the factory making stuff doesn't necessarily need to know what the price is we paid for different things. So we're not saying that everybody gets to see every piece of information, but what we are saying is those things that people do have a right to see and do have a need to see, that information is going to be shared so that everyone can do their job effectively. And that's what enterprise resource planning is. Now, you'll notice that what is not a part of this definition is what? What's not there? I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't there. There's no mention of pizza there. There's no mention of a lot of stuff there. But what's something that we might expect to see there especially in the context of this class, that's not a part of that definition? Computers. Because technically, you could try and do this without computers. Good luck. Okay? But the idea is, this is not so much a technology as it is a strategy for how we're going to run our business. It's a, it's if you will, it, it's a philosophy. And our philosophy is, no information hoarding. You cannot say, this is my information and you can't have it. We're, we're one for all, all for one. We share information. And we want all of our different functional areas, they're all going to come together. They're going to be highly integrated. They're going to share information. And we're not going to have any of this stinking territorialness and any of these erection of barriers and any of this warfare. We're not going to accept that. We're all going to exchange information freely in our organization. That's what ERP is all about. It is about taking our resources and planning them as an entire, as an entire, that's interesting, 
don't know what I just did there. It's a Windows 10 gesture, I guess, that it didn't like. We're going to plan it as an entire enterprise. We're going to all get together communally. It kind of sounds communistic, but it's not. It's very capitalistic. But we're all going to get together for the sake of sharing information to run our enterprise effectively. And so the idea here is that the focus is on maximizing efficiency and use of resources. So that's why we once again we call it enterprise resource planning because we want to make sure that if there's a resource in any part of our organization that would be helpful to another part of our organization that they can use that. And so we want to not view ourselves as individual functional areas. We want to view ourselves essentially as all one body, and we each have different roles. You know, if you think about it, if a business is like a body, it would be kind of stupid for a physical body for like the right arm to say, oh, I'm better than the left arm. I wish the left arm would, would you know, would drop off the body because it's clearly not as important. And the appendix says, well, I'm more important than you, and every different organ organ basically is at war with every other organ. Sounds like a very, very dysfunctional situation. You know, the way the body works is all of the different organs say, we're all part of the same body, we all have to work together to keep this thing working. Well, that's the way we want our business to run. And so the focus is on maximizing efficiency and use of resources. And as we were just observing, this is typically going to be mediated and managed by software. Now, let's talk about this software for a second because here's some really good news for you guys. The software that we are talking about, the software that you have been using in the labs, very, very, very expensive. Now, you might say, why is that good for me? Well, it's kind of like if you went out and bought a really, really high-performance car. You know, you went out and spent $500,000 on a high-performance car. You would not take it to Jiffy Lube to get the oil changed, right? You know, you would take it to a specialty mechanic who really knew what he or she were doing. Would you pay more than $19.95 for an oil change? Absolutely. Some of, those, some of those luxury vehicles just have the oil changes several hundred dollars. Well, typically mediated and managed by software. The software that we are using in the lab for a decent-sized company, let, let's pick Eastman Chemical as an example. Moderately large company, clearly not the size of General Motors or Coca-Cola. The initial expense for that software would be over $10 million. The ongoing annual expense for that would be over a million dollars. That's just software licensing. We're not talking the servers that it's going to run on and the people that are going to be needed to be employed to keep this running. You're not going to hire someone and pay them $10,000 a year to keep your $10 million piece of software running. The people that have expertise in this area do very, very, very well financially. 
Some of our graduates in recent years that have gone to work for companies in this region focusing on information systems and enterprise resource planning start out in jobs making, well, I'll just leave it vague and say making in some cases two to three times what some of their fellow students do that pursue other career routes. And within a couple of years, they're making in the six figures, okay? That's the opportunity that, that comes with this because these are incredibly large, complicated systems because everything we do as a company is going to be run by these systems. And if you go to a company that uses enterprise resource planning and say, uh, next week we're going to come in and rip that out, it would be kind of the equivalent of saying to your body, next week we're going to come in and rip out your spinal cord and your nervous system. But hopefully that won't be too traumatic for you. Well, good luck living if that happens. Okay? And an organization that uses an ERP system, um, you, you talk to them. And I, I've talked to a lot of people that have involved in and implementing one of these systems. And they say implementing the system was one of the most time consuming and most painful things I've ever done because it was so complicated. But now that it's done and we've been using it for a while, there's no way we could live without it. We're so dependent upon it, we could not run our business if this software went away, which is why they invest the kind of money they invest in this software because it's critical to running their organization. And so what we are looking at here now is something that is very, very important for us to keep in mind. You know, we have two different majors here at, in the department. We have information technology and we have information systems. Both of those have the word information in them. Well, what's the deal here? Well, in enterprise resource planning, the idea is that companies begin to realize that information is a significant corporate asset. And in fact, information, if we can use it effectively, can be something that will drive our organization strategically. I'm going to suggest to you that as you're doing your different data analysis for the sake of ERP SIM, those reports you have to create every week, I've already started to see in some of the reports where some of you have been able to create charts and in your observations you write, I notice that this product and this distribution channel seems really, really popular. We should raise our price for that product. Well, that can be a very important strategic insight which might result in a significant improvement in your company's profitability in the next quarter. Well, if you think about a real-world company that has one system that is collecting all of the data about everything done in that organization, that is a tremendous asset if we can turn that from raw data into understandable information. And if we can take that and turn it into information, then we can use that to drive our strategy. And that's what we're focused on when we talk about information systems. 
putting together these systems in an organization like an ERP system that's going to allow us, first of all, to gather the information and then figuring out a way that we can leverage that strategically, not just to make sure that people get their orders on time and everybody gets the right hamburger in their bag when they drive away from the drive-through, but can we use it to make strategic decisions in our organization that will make a more long-lasting and meaningful impact on the success of our organization? That's the focus of what we're talking about here, and that's the real driving emphasis of this course. You can't go into a company and say, hey, I'm here to set up your computer system. Uh, that's going to help you run your business and not know anything about business. You have to know how businesses work and what people do and where information comes from and where it goes to to be able to put these systems in an organization and then have an understanding of all that to be able to say, okay, now that we have all this information coming in, let's take the information over here and the information over here and the information over here and let's put it together and let's build a model that will help us better understand what's going on in the marketplace and help us make a better decision about what new products to create and what products we should stop selling and how we should change our prices and things that we should do in purchasing our products. That's what companies are focusing on today. At least that's what companies that are forward-looking. Companies that are forward-looking say, we've got the systems in place. We've made the investment. We've bought the technology. We have this in place. How can we use this to be better? How can we use this to outcompete other companies that are out there trying to knock us off? That's what information systems is all about. Well, this is a good place for us to stop, and this is where we will draw the line for the content for your exam. This, plus the things that you've read, plus what we have watched and done by way of ERP SIM, all of that will feed into the exam. Once again, make sure that you have signed up uh, to take the exam next Wednesday. If you have not signed in for class today, uh, please find the sign-in sheet and make sure your name is on it. I'll look forward to seeing you guys when we get together again um, in the near future.